As far as I'm concerned, as long as that same respect and recognition is not shown toward every one of our people in this country, it doesn't exist for me. And during the few moments that we have left, we want to have just an off-the-cuff chat between you and me, us. We want to talk right down to earth in a language that everybody here can easily understand. Welcome back to another episode of The Malcolm Effect. And this episode has been a long time coming. I am speaking to one of my favorite people on Twitter. One of my favorite people I had an unfortunate experience to meet. Welcome for the first time. It's taken you a long time, but you're here. Tara Al-Alami, how are you? I am doing okay, alhamdulillah. It has taken us a really, really long time, but we're here, we're doing it finally. How are you doing today? I'm very well, thank you. And you're right, taking a long time, but the most important thing is that we are here. And I'm super excited and grateful. Considering what is going on in the world right now, it's always difficult to speak in this moment, to this moment. However, I just hope through our conversation, we can perhaps provide much needed insight for people who are trying to organize for Palestine in this moment. So my first question is, when trying to frame the events of October the 7th, where do we begin? What led to it? What does an honest account of October the 7th sound like? So where do we begin when we want to frame the events of October 7th? We have to begin with the beginning of our struggle, with the start of our struggle for liberation, which started over 75 years ago today. It started as early as the 1910s, the 1920s, when Palestinians began resisting the colonial imperialist presence of the British on our land and the British who were facilitating European Jewish immigration and settlement on our land. And so if we truly want to understand what happened on October 7th from a historical materialist perspective, from a perspective that's not revisionist, from a perspective that's not diluting the history of Palestinian struggle and the history of the Zionist project being built on Palestinian land, then we must start at the beginning of our struggle. And so if we don't talk about, for example, the Sykes-Picot Agreement, which, which divided our lands into arbitrary nation states with colonial borders that were decided and drawn by the, the, the British Empire and the French in collaboration with the Russians, if we don't start with the labor revolts that Palestinians were waging against the British colonizers in the 1920s and the 30s onwards, the, with Palestinian resistance against uh, European Jewish settlement before, before the creation of the Zionist state in 1948, before the UN partition plan in 1947, then we're not truly understanding what's happening on October 7th in correctly. We're understanding it in a way that is obfuscating the true history of Palestine and the Zionist project, and also colonialism and imperialism in the region as a whole. And so just to, to define, I guess, or to, 
to to explain what happened on October 7th from that perspective. What happened on October 7th is a moment that followed a long, long struggle for liberation. And it's, it was a moment of resistance that has followed an, a long, that has followed an increase in, in resistance generally on Palestinian land. And we're talking about all of Palestine. So in Gaza, in the territories that were occupied in 1948, and also in the occupied West Bank. It's a moment that followed over sev- about 17 years of an air, land, and sea blockade. Essentially, Gaza being living, people, Palestinians in Gaza living under a medieval siege that has been imposed on them by Zionists, backed by the US, by Canada, by European states. So, what happened on October 7th is a reaction to that. It was resistance to the to the material conditions that are imposed on Palestinians as a colonized people by the colonizer and by those who fund and bankroll the colonizer, namely, of course, the Western Western imperial powers like the U.S. and and their allies, and so. This is how we understand what happened on October 7th. We understand it by by looking at the history of Palestine as a whole and understanding that wherever there is oppression, wherever there is colonialism, wherever there is imperialism, the people will resist and the people will rise and form an organized an organized resistance against that. The masses will mobilize and organize themselves into a moment of resistance which cul- which will culminate into something like October 7th where there were Palestinians on paragliders finally flying over the colonial wa- wall that surrounds the Gaza strip which is a very small strip of land where over 2 million Palestinians are essentially caged, surrounded by military checkpoints. So, so, and like anything that goes in and out of, of those checkpoints, of course, is, is controlled by the Israeli occupation. When the, the picture of Palestinians break physically breaking through the walls, that's a culmination of over 75 years of resistance that has taken many forms, not just armed struggle, but importantly, armed struggle, a form, a, a, a form of resistance, of course, that, that is justified against an occupier that has waged senseless colonial violence against Palestinians and against Arabs in the region. And so that's how we should understand October 7th. And any attempt to understand it differently actually obfuscates, like deliberately, ba- deliberately changes the actual material conditions deliberately revises the history of Gaza, but also the history of Palestine as a whole. Thank you so much for that answer. And I think you hit the nail on the head when you said any framing that tries to not take into consideration the history of the region, history of Palestine specifically, in relation to Israeli Zionist settler colonial project, obfuscates first and foremost, but it's just an untrue account. And we think of liberal media. I don't know what it is about liberal media that 
engenders and induces historical amnesia as if to say the talking point becomes October the 7th and it becomes a mystification and a barrier from seeing any other lens or seeing any other perspective or actually having a material analysis of what led up to that date. And then what even becomes more pernicious for me is the framing of anti-Semitism, is the framing of this is the worst attack on Jews since the Holocaust, as if to say there is a continuum or a timeline or continuation of Nazi Germany and Palestinians. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's. I mean, I I reject this whole premise as a whole. The premise of uh, of uh, Palestinian anti-Semitism against the, the Zionist occupier, which happens to co-opt Jewish religion for their colonial project. And I think an important thing to note out here is. Palestinians didn't did didn't choose their colonizer. Like Palestinians didn't <laughs> go around looking at all the possible possibilities in the world and being like and be, and choosing like yeah sure we want we want actually European Jews to to occupy and colonize our land. This is not something that that falls. Uh, this this is the onus is not on the colonized people. It just happens and through through material conditions and developments in in Europe in the late 1800s and the early 1920s it ha- it, it led to the creation of course to, to, to the to the Balfour declaration first which which the British essentially allowed European Jews to build a state on on top of Palestine to build a Jewish to start the 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 the, the Jewish nation state on Palestinian land that was at the time also already colonized by the British, but also through conditions where the Jewish bourgeoisie in Europe saw an opportunity in in colonizing Palestinian land at the time and uh, and. In, in collaboration with imperialists, I mean, even Herzl in his writings was saying that one day anti-Semites will become our closest friend or something like that. I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but, th- but this was the sentiment. And it was these conditions that led to the creation of the Zionist state. It was these conditions that led to the creation of, quote unquote, the Israeli nation. And so I think an important reference to make here is Fayez Sayer's text on Zionist colonialism, where he explains the process of Zionist nation building on Palestinian land. And so to be able to create this nation state, of course, you have to have a nation. And to have a nation, you have to work on an exclusionary premise. So uh, for Zionists to be able to say, like, yes, this is our state on Palestinian land, and at the time, the, the legitimacy for a state required the creation of a nation. And so the British, I mean, in collaboration with the British and also with the permission of the British, Fayez Sayer notes that the Zionists the Zionist had to create this Israeli nation in order to justify, for example, the the institutionalization of repressive state apparatuses. The, the institutionalization of things like the Zionist militarized factions or 
what were really gangs that were allowed to be armed by the British at the time to justify the creation of ideological state apparatuses like schools. And this is all this was all happening before the actual creation of the Zionist state with the defined colonial borders along the 1948 territories. Thank you so much once again. So we have seen many actually no before I ask that question I think what might be important is if you can give us perhaps an overview and historical account of the history of Gaza specifically and in relate and relating to Hamas yeah I mean like I mentioned before this is important so that we understand what's actually happening in Gaza right now what's actually happening in Palestine right now so Gaza is a very small uh, strip of land that is on the western coast of Palestine it houses over 2 million people it's one of the most densely populated i think the second or third most densely populated region in the world and actually a big portion, about 70% of Gaza's population, are Palestinians who were displaced from their original ancestral lands and homes during the 1948 Nakba, the catastrophe, uh, where over 750,000 Palestinians were displaced, uh, four of whom, I mean, sorry, yeah, four of whom were my grandparents and, and of course their families. And so some of the people who were displaced at that time ended up being sequestered into Gaza. And so Gaza has several refugee camps of Palestinians inside that very small strip of land. And Gaza ended up sort of becoming separated from 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 the rest. So I mean, just to explain the geography of Palestine, Gaza is on the western side, and then we have what is called the West Bank, but truly the West Bank is in reference to Jordan and the Jordanian territory, but it's actually on the eastern side of, of, of Palestine. And so the colonial 1967 borders that were drawn at the time when when the, the occupied West Bank and the eastern part of Jerusalem were were basically colonized and and have since then been under military occupation since 1967 and so Gaza is this piece of land that that has the Mediterranean Sea on its coast but is also separated from the West Bank by a strip of land that is now known as quote unquote the Israeli state and so the Zionist state within the borders of the 1948 within the, the the borders of the territories occupied in 1948, separates Gaza from the West Bank, which is under military occupation. And so that's before, that's since 1967, that's from before, from 1948 onwards. But importantly, 17 years ago, an air, land, and sea blockade was imposed on Gaza by the Israeli occupation. And so since 2007, these over over 2 million people have been placed under a military blockade whereby the Israeli occupation controls the air, airspace, land, the sea. Even, you know, Palestinians don't control any of the three land crossings into Gaza. The airport and the seaport were completely destroyed by the Zionist occupation. 
and the imports of essential like of of necess- of life sustaining necessities like medical supplies like fuel shipments like food is routinely rejected and intercepted by the Israeli occupation and what's also routinely intercepted and rejected by the Israeli occupation are medical permits for people from within Palestinians inside the Gaza strip who are trying to seek medical care outside of the Gaza strip and so we hear about Palestinian women going into labor at the military checkpoints that surround Gaza because of delays in their permits from the Israeli occupation to seek urgent care there are cancer patients inside inside Gaza who are unable unable to access medical equipment that is now essentially the standard over uh, like throughout most of the world because of the Israeli occupation and so these are the conditions that exist within Gaza but in terms of Hamas Hamas was, is is a political party that was created in uh, in 1987 or so 1986 to 1988 um and was essentially seen by the Israeli occupation as an opportunity to weaken its secular counterpart which at the time was the Palestine Liberation Organization and I mean we see and and this was you know this is where people sort of start saying well you know israel funded hamas in the beginning but that's actually not like that's actually not the not what it, it doesn't mean what people think it means but you know at the time strategically zion at the time zionists saw this as a strategic way to weaken the plo which was already on the way to, into into dissent with secret negotiations with the oslo process with what is now called the the peace the illusory peace peace, peace process and the installation of the comprador palestinian authority but in terms of hamas hamas has existed as a political as a political wing has ha- i mean it does ha- sorry hamas has a political wing but it also has an armed wing and so in terms of hamas as a political party it's able to enter elections that palestinian people can vote in which is basically what happened in 2005 so after the israeli occupation forces were forced to withdraw and to remove all settlements from Gaza in 2005, the Comprador Palestinian Authority was coerced into holding parliamentary elections. Of course, they didn't want to because they wanted to keep Fatah and Fatah in power and to the dismay of the US, to Canada, to the dismay of the Zionist state, which of course we know collaborates with the Palestinian Authority or Rather, the Palestinian Authority collaborates with the Zionist state at the security level, at the military level, and also, you know, logistically in terms of checkpoints and whatever. They were forced into holding parliamentary elections and Palestinians in 2006 ended up democratically electing Hamas as a political body. And so at that moment in 2006, the Palestinian Authority was sort of in this, in, it, it found itself in this predicament where the US and the EU were really upset because Hamas 
which has popular support, except especially after the Second Intifada, where they played a really important role that showed the difference between Hamas and the Palestinian Authority, which, again, openly or tries to collude, but in fact, it's open collaboration with the Israeli occupation. And that was obvious during the Second Intifada, where they were coordinating security measures, for example. And so people naturally, the masses naturally were leaning towards voting for Hamas. And that's in fact what happened. Hamas was democratically elected. The EU, the US were extremely upset about this and immediately cut off all economic aid to the Palestinian Authority. And we're trying to push for a coup against Hamas leadership in the occupied West Bank, of course, supported by the Palestinian, by, by the previous heads of the Palestinian Authority that have now lost this democratic election. And so this coup is staged and Hamas is sort of sequestered into Gaza, which which again is, is separated from the occupied West Bank by the territories that were occupied in 1948 that are now known as the Israeli state. And as soon as as soon as Hamas is sort of as soon as there's an attempt to contain Hamas within the Gaza Strip, the Israeli occupation imposes the full siege on Gaza in 2007. And so since then, what has happened in Gaza is, I mean, I'll just go into, into a list of the bombings. So No, please carry on. Yeah, yeah so, so 2008, 2009, the first war on Gaza, where there was 22 days of constant bombing on the Gaza Strip. Over 1,300 Palestinians were killed, including over 300 children. A few years later, we have the second war on Gaza in 2012, which lasted eight days. And then in July 2014, there's 52 days of constant airstrikes on Gaza, where over 2,000 Palestinians were killed, including over 500 children. And then we have in March of 2018 to December of 2019, the prolonged Great March of Return, where Palestinians who, again, it was called the Great March of Return because the majority of Gaza's population was, was displaced and dispossessed of their ancestral home and their ancestral land. And so for this for almost a year and a half, Palestinians were organizing protests approaching the colonial border and were met with live ammunition, with bullets that were coated with rubber, with rubber but are actually, you know, bullets that can do serious, serious harm, with snipers at the colonial border. And so that ended in 2019. And then in May 2021, which is which many people will remember as what is now called the Unity Intifada, that started uh, with 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 um, with the mass attempt at expulsions of Palestinians from Sheikh Jarrah, and the attacks on Al Aqsa compound by Zionist settlers in in occupied Jerusalem, there was an eleven day attack on Gaza where over I think about almost seventy children were killed from about. 230 Palestinians who were killed during that 11-day period. And, and, and it's important to remember that just because the, the, the assault on Gaza lasts 22 days or 11 days or, or however many days, 
and and the the martyrs that are counted within that time period are not uh, th- that is not actually an accurate depiction of of the people who are killed during during these assaults on Gaza because people go to hospitals with serious life threatening injuries and like I mentioned Gaza is consistently facing because of these wars because of because of the permanent sorry because of the deliberate underdevelopment of Gaza by the Israeli occupation, the, the deliberate economic underdevelopment, Gaza also faces a continuous and exacerbating medical crisis where hospitals are un, and, and medical professionals are unable to deal w- with, with these injuries that are caused by these airstrikes. And that's what we're seeing now with tens tens of thousands of people who are being who have been injured dying from injuries because hospitals are shutting down and so the destruction of infrastructure in Gaza the continuous destruction of infrastructure every few years is also part and parcel of the Zionist occupation's attempt to ethnically cleanse this area within which over 2 million people have been living under an air, land, and sea blockade for almost 17 years. And so these are the conditions that lead, I mean, uh, the, the conditions of, of a war uh, on, on Gaza, an assault on Gaza every few years, are the conditions that lead to popular support for armed resistance. And whether this armed, whether the armed faction belongs to Hamas as a political body, whether the armed faction actually belongs to the Palestinian Islamic Jihad, whether the armed faction belongs to the PFLP, really doesn't, you know, doesn't really matter at the end of the day, because what we're seeing these days is sort of a return to armed resistance as a united front. We're seeing relationships between the armed factions, resistance factions in Palestine becoming stronger than ever before against against the Zionist forces and the Zionist project with its imperialist backers as a whole. And so Hamas right now is a democratically elected political body. And like every other political body, Hamas has its contradictions in the way that it affects its policies in the land on the land, you know, in which it, it's you know it's 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 the government head. And so people have their critiques of Hamas as a political body, people have its, their critiques of Hamas and their policies, but importantly there is popular support for armed resistance within the Gaza Strip, but also within the occupied West Bank, and argue, arguably for, for the Palestinian diaspora, especially when it comes to the youth. And so I guess this is this is the history of Hamas and, and the history that, or the material conditions that, that lead someone into supporting the armed resistance and, and armed struggle that is at this moment during the current assault on Gaza being led by Hamas as a political body, but crucially being supported by all the other political factions in, in, in Palestine. Thank you so much once again. I think it's important that you give that much needed context 
And I think people often will get caught up with, oh, but what did Hamas's charter said in the beginning? They believe they're anti-Semitic. They believe in the complete eradication of Israel, even though the charter has since been changed and updated to reflect the language. But I'm so sorry. I'm sick to death of people requesting moral purity Mm -hmm. from people who are occupied and colonized people. Like they have, people expect Palestinians to be so precise in the differentiation when it wasn't that, as you correctly said, the Palestinians did not choose to put the Star of David on the flag. Mm-hmm. The Palestinians did not call it the only Jewish state in the world. Exactly. Of course, we condemn anti-Semitism. But once again, what is happening right now, we're seeing people emerge from rubble. People are dying, more than 8,000 children and so many more uncountable lives. I'm trying to think this the conversation needs to stop being about whether you politically or ideologically align yourself with Hamas or not. The the fact of the Mm -hmm. matter is, almost every video that has emerged during the pause of hostilities demonstrated the people were thankful for the resistance. Mm -hmm. And one of the greatest lines that I really, like, always in my mind is when someone said, this victory or this glory is has a heavy price and this is what people are facing against in that area so i just find it quite ridiculous and it leads to my next question because for the first month two months not for the first month there was definitely this call of oh where do we what do we say about hamas and this came from liberals communists leftists of all different shades where do we stand on hamas Mm -hmm. so my question to you is then for those of us in the diaspora those of us in the west what do you think our position should be, not just specifically on Hamas, but thinking about armed resistance in this context? So, I mean, you made really good points, including the point about victory, or I mean, I forgot how glory or victory has a heavy price. And this is, it's not the only time, This it's not the only time where this applies. This also applies to other struggles in the world, like Vietnam, like Algeria, other anti-colonial, anti-imperialist struggles that have chosen the route of armed resistance and know the price that is that that may or may not be paid in the pursuit of of liberation through armed struggle and like you said uh, the videos that were emerging during the the pause the few days of pause a couple of weeks ago were were testimonies of of the people of the people in Gaza being thankful for the resistance and and this is like so so this is in, in this in this context and in response to your question, I think the correct way to go about this is to think about the contradictions that exist on Palestinian land and the contradictions that Palestinians are faced with. Of course, the primary contradiction in Palestine, and more specifically for a Palestinian that's living in Gaza, a Palestinian that's living in an open air prison that's you know effectively being held hostage or captive by the Israeli occupation within colonial borders, uh, within a physical war, uh, sorry, wall, being subjected to wars, to airstrikes, assaults that are funded and backed by by the, the, the Western imperialists. What are the contradictions that exist for this person? The first one will be I live under an air, land, and sea military blockade. I am a Palestinian that uh, whose grandparents has have been displaced 
from from their land in 1947 or 1948 or 1967. I am a Palestinian that has witnessed several wars during my life. I am a Palestinian that has that has witnessed elections, democratically uh, democratic elections that have then been sabotaged by the US and the EU and Canada in collaboration with the Palestinian Authority. And so the contradiction that exists, the most glaring contradiction and the primary contradiction that exists for for that Palestinian and by that Palestinian I'm saying over 2 million people that are living inside the Gaza Strip and the Palestinians also living in the occupied West Bank and occupied Jerusalem and within the occupied uh, territories that were stolen in 1948 is the existence of the Zionist settler colonial project on Palestinian land. That is the primary contradiction. And there are contradictions that exist and will continue to exist and, and will need to be resolved after this primary contradiction is resolved. Things like class antagonisms. Of course, Palestinians are not special. There are, there are class antagonisms that exist in Palestinian society, but they are not the primary contradiction. There are, of course, patriarchy exists in Palestinian society, but it's not the primary contradiction because it cannot truly be resolved without first targeting, resolving, and, and resolving the primary contradiction. And if, pal- if there is popular support, not just for not just within Palestinian masses, but for masses of the third world historically, if there is popular support for armed resistance against an entity, whether we're talking about the Israeli occupation or the French in Vietnam or the French in Algeria or any kind of anti-communist forces uh, funded, bankrolled, propped up by the U.S. empire, if the masses choose the route of armed resistance, the people who are bearing the brunt of colonial and imperialist violence choose the route of armed resistance, then who are we as people living, whether as, you know, immigrants or, and usually, you know, immigrants because of this colonial violence who have been forced uh, to move to the global north uh, for, 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 I guess, better opportunities. But who are we to say as people who are living in the belly of the beast, people who attend institutions that are materially involved materially complicit in in these horrors that are that that are happening for example right now in Palestine as as a current as a current example but also like for example my university the university that I graduated from McGill University was heavily invested in the South African apartheid and so who are we as people who are living in the belly of the beast whose tax dollars go whether we like it or not towards funding these wars on people of the third world towards quelling any form of resistance of the people of the third world, how can we sit here and say and try to moralize armed struggle, armed struggle against the colonial imperialist occupier? And why, and, and why do we not interrogate the audacity to moralize armed struggle of of colonized people against their colonizer and why don't we interrogate the way that people use the word violence 
to dehumanize colonized people when they try to resist by any means necessary to resist to achieve liberation to resist to fight in 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 a fight for livelihood for land and for our people and so when it comes to these you know western leftist and people who have i guess gone uh, people and organization who i guess have gone mask off after the events of october 7th and have completely capitulated to western imperialist rhetoric using the word terror using the word terrorism turning the violence of the colonized against the colonizer back at the colonized regurgitating discourse that aims to manufacture consent for what is currently happening right now in gaza which is the the, the attempt to annihilate an entire people Why do we not interrogate the audacity? The audacity of these people to just sit here comfortably in the belly of the beast and try to moral trying to moralize how people are choosing to resist their occupier. And this is, you know, like you were you like you expressed, it's tiring, right? Like it's tiring when we see someone who has built their platform, their organization has gained a legitimacy by being quote unquote a leftist in the West for years and years and years, sort of turn around and start spreading unsubstantiated claims, like for example, the claims about babies being in ovens or babies being beheaded, start basically aligning themselves with US foreign policy but still call themselves the leftist. And so this is a contradiction for us who who are living in the belly of the beast right now. We need to contend with. We need to contend with this contradiction in our organizing spaces. We need to contend with this contradiction in our academic institutions, in our workplaces. And the way that we choose to contend with this contradiction, I think, is going to be very I mean, I, I think that this is going to be or should be one of our priorities for the coming years of, of, of our struggle, because I think we can all agree that October 7th and what's currently happening right now to the people of Gaza has changed the course of the Palestinian struggle of liberation. We are currently living in a new moment. And 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 me personally, I think I think that that we are closer, that we're we're getting closer and closer to liberation. Thank you so much once again. Absolutely agree with what you said. And something I have held on to since the beginning of this conflict. And I mean, beginning October the 7th, this current instantiation of this conflict, mm-hmm. is I will never tell those who are colonized how to resist from the comfort of my home in the West. Whether I agree, disagree is wholly irrelevant because at the end of the day, I do not know what it means to be in all the conditions in which you described and still want to fight for your liberation. Mm-hmm. And the way in which you, which you do it is not for me or anyone else in the West to see. That's why I've been quite dismayed when I see, quote-unquote, especially when the term decolonization has become a buzzword. Mm-hmm. Everyone speaks about decolonization. What does Fanon say? Decolonization is a violent phenomenon. Mm-hmm. And we we can relay Fanon and read Fanon like it's a Bible or a Quran and people quote here and there. But these same academics will be the first to condemn colonial anti-colonial violence which i find quite telling 
that these people exist in their ivory towers of the academy and pontificate mm-hmm. and speak about these topics yeah. but have no interest in these topics materially so my final question then is what have you made of these responses <laughs> i mean i have been pissed off like it's just annoying <laughs> you know like, and and it's kind of stupid right like i i mean for us to to sit here and have a conversation of course like a conversation about material conditions a conversation about the road that the mater- the road that leads someone to take up arms, the material conditions that create the freedom fighter, the freedom fighter that is fighting for the liberation of their people, the liberation of their land, and also our collective liberation as a whole, as as, as a people who are being exploited by the US empire, by the Western imperialist empire, and the colonial forces on our lands. And so when I see these things, I'm like, how, like, how do you not understand? Like, how do you not understand why someone might take up arms to, why someone chooses to take up arms to liberate themselves and their, their people and their land? And honestly, I find it quite ridiculous, you know, I, I, and, and to go back to what we were talking about in the beginning, it's, it's historical revisionism, like, these people are erasing, first of all, the past over 75 years of Palestinian struggle that has always included armed struggle as part of resistance along other forms of resistance, but are also erasing what the what Palestinians have been enduring and surviving for over 75 years now, but in the Gaza Strip especially for 17 years now and also i think i mean i for us here for us who are people who are living here in 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 the belly of the beast whether we like it or not whether whether we think this is moral or not whether whatever 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 materially in our position here in the belly of the beast we are contributing to all of these atrocities that we are witnessing that we are witnessing in Palestine and also elsewhere in the world. And so how do we reconcile that with our politics? How do we resolve that contradiction? Because I know that whenever I get a job, I that my tax dollars are going to be uh, going towards a state that continuously funds the occupation of Palestine. I know that when I enroll in a university like McGill University or like any Ivy League, that my tuition dollars are going into investments that participate in the occupation of Palestine and Palestinian people, and also participate in building pipelines on indigenous land here that participate in the pollution of essential life-sustaining water and food sources for, for indigenous people here, especially in Canada. And so how do I how do I allow myself to live through that contradiction and how do I choose every day to resolve that contradiction by fighting against the institutions that I mm-hmm. that I have gone to as a student by fighting by trying to get the weapons corporations that have blood on their hands out of my city by participating in in civil disobedience by participating in mass mobilizations 
sometimes whichever way I'm choosing, and certainly there are ways that are more effective than others, but how am I trying to resolve that contradiction? And that's really the only conversation that I'm interested in having with people here in, in the belly of the beast. And I've, I've grown really tired of, of attempts to like frame our struggle for liberation or frame any struggle for the liberation in the third world as something that's digestible mm-hmm. for the for the western person because the truth is the truth is that when palestine is liberated when algeria was liberated that the the position of the white colonizer the material benefits of being a colonizer, the material benefits of being an investor in the Zionist entity, the material benefits of living on on stolen Palestinian land, the material benefits of living here on Turtle Island and exploiting indigenous land with, with these massive oil corporations, that material benefit is going to dissipate with the liberation of yep. Palestinians, with the liberation of all people of the third world. And I'm not even using the word if, I'm saying when that liberation happens. Absolutely. And so if that threat is too much, if people are not willing to give up the material benefit that they reap on the backs of the people who are colonized, on the people whose lands are stolen from them and exploited, then... I don't think that this is a friend of the colonized people. I don't think that this is a friend of the people who yes, are exactly. fighting for liberation. And so that's, I guess, in, in summary, in a very long-winded way to say, not I, I don't tolerate these, these white lefties. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. I, I deeply appreciate you grounding us in that fact. And this has been an amazing conversation. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so, I so much. I reckon, no, absolute pleasure and honour on my part. All I would say is, people, check out Tara's Twitter. And she is a formidable and extremely talented writer. And her articles can be found online as well. I will post Tara's social medias in the episode description. Until next time, peace out. Thank you so much, comrade.